This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. When the divine healing movement started to gain steam, the world was watching. A prophet's boasting, his adversary standing firmly against the movement, and the walls packed with people from coast to coast who came to see this man who could heal others by the power of God. As he began to prophesy, proclaiming to be Malachi 4, his followers took their stance firmly in the faith that this man was receiving the word from the Lord. While the other churches began to take notice and observe this movement's sudden increase. Many left their homes, their jobs, their families to move closer to this church, not realizing that they were laying a foundation that was built around a man instead of the God that they were seeking. But that man fell. Sexual sins and adultery were hidden in the shadows. The love of money had consumed the prophet. And that foundation that was being laid was self-serving to the ministry and its elders. Buildings that were constructed to hold the oncoming populace were abandoned. Those that had started new lives around the prophet must once more, having learned the fruits of this spirit were unclean, must once more start a new life. That prophet died in 1907. And a city still remains in remembrance to all that this movement or any movement that produces signs and wonders can be the devil in disguise. When John Alexander Dowie died and the people learned that their Elijah had failed them, they were devastated. The foundation that had been laid began to crumble. And without support from God, it was completely ground into dust. They had laid a foundation that could not stand. As humans, we look for the satisfaction of the work in our own hands. Like artists, we watch the canvas of our lives begin to fill with vibrant color, and we admire the half-finished work as though we were in control of the paintbrush. So easily we forget that God controls our work. 
we forget that the hands that hold the paintbrush, as we watch the spiritual walk with Christ, we watch it unfold, we forget who holds it. Too many times, we try to take the paintbrush back from the painter. When Dowie rose into fame, he advanced a ministry proclaiming the restoration of the church. <clears throat> the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed to Christ as the Redeemer and the Restorer of Israel <clears throat> were refocused to the divine healing movement. And scriptures were subtly changed to trick the believers into thinking that there was no hand holding the paintbrush for the last several centuries. The ancient idea that was based on Mosaic law was resurrected, and this, the state of saving grace could only be accomplished by laying a new foundation of Christianity. Through these works, Dowie taught that the healing of body could be accomplished as a milestone on the way to salvation. In his publication, Leaves of Healing, Dowie convinced a nation that was marveling at his success of his power to heal, and over a hundred thousand people moved into what would become Zion, Illinois. But that restoration movement died unfinished. Though it once produced fruits of healing for the body, it did not produce the fruits of the Spirit that the Restorer proclaimed. It did not produce the fruits that he said would come through their ascetic lifestyles. Rather than seeing the demolished state of the foundation, the followers of Dowie instead saw a platform, one that was awaiting another restorer to come and build the temple on its platform. Under Dowie's teaching and faith healing ministry, Fred Francis Bosworth received spiritual enlightenment with regards to divine healing ministry, having spontaneously been healed from a lung disease that nearly claimed his life. Believing that healing was a fruit of the Spirit, F.F. F. Bosworth joined the Pentecostal faith promoted by the followers of Dowie, and he went on to become involved with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, spreading this new gospel of healing to the world. Bosworth himself had worldwide fame, and not just because of his book, Christ the Healer. Bosworth was one of the founding fathers of the Assemblies of God denomination of faith, which has produced fruits such as Benny Hinn, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, A.A. A. Allen, and more. This widespread fame caught the attention of another young minister, one that would later believe that he was building upon the foundation laid by John Alexander Dowie. In a meeting in Zion City, Illinois, appealing to the followers of the false prophet Dowie, William Branham claimed to have been born the day after Dowie died in 1907. Though Branham signed his birth date as, 19, as April 8, 1908 on government records, and would later claim to have been born on April 6, 1909, Branham's appeal to the followers of Dowie was the passing of Elijah's mantle of the divine healing movement to himself. Referring to a woman who knew Dowie personally, he said this, She was acquainted of, your, of our 
great renowned brother, that sleeping tonight, no not sleeping, his body is, his soul's with Jesus, Dr. Alexander Dowie. And forty years before, when he died, he prophesied, she said, It'll be forty years after my death, this city shall go on to the rock. But after that, forty years, there'll come a revival. One that'll be more glorious than it was in the first place. And I have writings here in part that I may read. It's, he says, Dr. Dowie prophesied that some forty years after his death, that the churches would be restored in more power and glory than they were in the former. That's 1949. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In a later sermon to, to the followers of Dowie, William Branham stated that the Elijah's mantle teaching, that he was appealing to this group as Elisha to Dowie's Elijah. He says, oh, if I, if Jesus tarries, and I can stay that long, let me be like that. That's right. Brother Richie here, I can speak of him, of how through the age, when he was a little boy in school, he was out there preaching the gospel and praying for the sick, when I was just a boy. Your mothers and your dads listened to him preach the gospel of divine healing. Both of them out of Zion, Illinois. Candidates are out there from the great teacher. The late Dr. Dowie. How Dr. Dowie prophesied in his death that I would come 40 years from the time he died, not knowing nothing about it. He died on one day, and I was born the next. In 40 years to the day, I entered the city, not knowing nothing about it. Oh, how great God's move is coming together. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. It's William Branham, 1951. Our hope is in God. But the underlying problem with this foundation is that it was built upon the healing of the body, not upon the work that Christ did on the cross. While Christ and the apostles taught that our earthly bodies are fading and of little importance, the divine healing movement refocused our attention from our spiritual bodies once more to the flesh and blood. Because this foundation required a restorer in human form, and following the scriptures out to their conclusions, scriptures that pointed to Christ must be redirected to the leader of the movement. Only a few days before God removed William Branham from this earth, in accordance with scriptures against false prophecy, Branham claimed that he was Christ himself. This Elijah's mantle that was passed from Dowie to himself was promoted to be greater than Dowie. While Dowie was just the man that fell to sins of the following, that split the following, William Branham claimed that this Elijah himself was the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this, 1965, now we've had Elijah's and Elijah's coats and Elijah's mantles and Elijah's everything, but the Elijah of this day is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to come according to Matthew the 17th, Luke 17.30, says the Son of Man is to reveal himself among his people. Not a man, God. But it will come through a prophet. Now he never had two major prophets at the same time. Never in the world. See, no matter how much their two heads can't be, he says it's got to be one head. God has got to get the man under his control. See, there's one God. There was a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but one God over all of it. Notice, and just as he uses them three offices, 
so he with Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. He used that spirit, but the same God controlling it to fulfill his word. But again, that foundation was laid atop another crumbling foundation that cannot stand. The restoration that proclaimed divine healing, a new gospel associated healing with salvation, cannot stand from its own foundation. Unless it was a foundation laid by God, it will crumble again. The fruits that this ministry promised as its gospel was proclaimed were fruits that described worldly things, outward appearance, healing of the flesh, restoration of the law, or partial law. With restoration of these things, the ministry proclaimed a restoration of the church. If the members were to uphold the foundation themselves, by upholding the commandments of men, Branham claimed that the wall would increase, a, increase and to build a word bride, one that could give themselves rapturing faith. But again, the problem is foundation. Paul called the Mosaic law the law of death. <clears throat> he said it was obsolete and that it was given as our tutorial as we rose into maturity with the instruction that we could never save ourselves. Man was not designed to save himself. God, in his perfect plan, built mankind to require a savior. He did not want us to have the glory in our salvation. God wanted us to look to his Son for salvation. The Bible says that we sin daily, and to deny this is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. What good is the good news if we could save ourselves? For what purpose would God send his only son to die for us if he knew that we could simply lift ourselves into rapturing faith and save ourselves from the fire? In fact, the Apostle Paul calls these restorers immature. They come laying new foundations that are not built upon Christ, but instead they are built upon the work of our hands. He calls these things dead works because Christ's work on the cross was once for all. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves or to earn our salvation. And our rapturing faith is simply to believe that as sinners we are saved by the grace of God as a gift from God. <clears throat> he says in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, and of instruction about baptisms and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. He says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <clears throat> but again, that foundation crumbled. According to William Branham, 1977 was the year of Jubilee. And Branham claimed that, according to divine revelation, that this date and time would usher in the new millennium. Many lived through that year watching divine inspiration fail. 
Those that remained continually discussed what, exactly, this jubilee meant, since nothing happened of spiritual significance. And some invent new doctrines surrounding the events that took place in 1977 without binding them to Branham's entire teaching of that year. They can find history that supports one or two elements of the message year of Jubilee, but 1977 did not produce all aspects of this divine inspiration. The crumbling of Branham's foundation of works has continued, <clears throat> even to the followers who are starting to notice the questionable fruits of the ministry. One church will not associate with another because of doctrinal division. Some claim that their teaching holds the mystery to what is behind the seventh seal, while others believe that Branham alone held this ministry and this mystery. Those that have left and entered Christian churches with solid foundations realize that the Lamb alone was worthy to open the seals, and no man can know this mystery. From the hundreds that have contacted me personally, Having left the Branham denomination, there's a wide variety of people and reasons for leaving. Like myself, some have discovered prophecies that did not come to pass exactly like William Branham claimed, and quickly started to realize that all prophecy was given after the fact. Others, having a strong desire to learn their, body, their Bibles and started studying their Bibles, realized that the teaching on recorded tape does not match Scripture, and that many verses were invented or twisted and combined, adding to the Scriptures and taking away from God's Word. But some left because of the fruit produced from this foundation, knowing nothing of the false teaching or the failed prophecy. The love of Christ, the love that Christ displayed, is not dominating in this movement. Specific churches claim to have this love, and even claim to love others that are outside of Branham's foundation. But as a whole, they started to realize that this was not the case. Around the world, churches claiming to hold fast onto the Branham Foundation have an unusual amount of bitterness towards their fellow man. And this bitterness, and this heeding Branham's advice, causes them to point fingers at other churches, calling them the mark of the beast. The mainstream fruit of this foundation is the belief that without faith in William Branham, one cannot be saved. They have built their faith upon Branham's foundation rather than the cross. But William Branham was not able to produce rapturing faith in the days leading up to his horrific death. And Branham's year of the Jubilee was fruitless. 1977 produced nothing, with the exception of a great falling away by those that were seeking fulfillment of failed prophecy against the United States. The elders of this faith and their families, the ones with the outstretched hands lifting up the foundation that Branham built, did not produce rapturing faith. Their ascetic lifestyles had no help, and the, they have sweat running in beads down their faces from bearing this load, and they blame the failure on those that live normal lives that William Branham considered to be worldly. They blame the failure on those people. Branham's foundation that was laid atop of Dowie's foundation had crumbled.
There's only one answer to this problem. When you're trying to earn salvation from any foundation other than Christ, when your platform turns to dust, you must erect another. And since the elders were not capable of saving themselves through dead works, and since they are growing weak from bearing the load of Branham's crumbling foundation, there must be another generation to carry this burden. We must have young foundations. Children today are not smarter than the older generation, but they do have access to a wealth of knowledge that their fathers could not see. While their fathers listened earnestly, as William Branham praised the false prophet Dowie, children can easily access the history of his failed prophecies and his sinful failures with just a few keystrokes. Children have keyword searches to Branham's own prophecies and can line them up in order, watching them gradually change from the original spoken word and into a completely different prophecy, all while prophesied after the fact. They must be trained to ignore the cracks in the wall and patch them with their own sweat and blood and try to uphold what their fathers could not. The entire burden of rapturing faith is now placed upon the backs of the children. There's a cost for abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. After Paul condemned those that would rise to lay new foundations, he was not mildly speaking against them with gentle persuasion. Paul rebuked them heavily, saying that their only end was to be burnt by the fire. When he continues in Hebrews 6, he says, For it is impossible, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again into repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and lifting him into contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles... It is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. That's Hebrews 6, 4-8. through 8. These children are slaves to the desires of their parents. Because they themselves could not produce rapturing faith, they must decide whether or not they were upholding a failing foundation for the majority of their lives, or whether they will admit that they were failures in life unable to produce Branham's perfect will. To admit failure is to admit false religion, and in the eyes of their children become ignorant to the word of God. The children are enslaved to the failures of the parents, now having to bear the burden of the weight as they reconstruct the crumbling foundation of their fathers. But with each foundation laid, it grows further and further away from the original foundation, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that none are worthy is forgotten. 
the gospel that describes a loving father sending his only son to die to save those who could not save themselves is not taught to these children. And in replacement, they're given doctrines of a failing foundation. The children are retaught the same doctrines from the same foundation that failed to produce rapturing faith. And these new young foundations are destined to suffer the same defeat. And the load is much more difficult to bear than before. With each new exposure of the fictional stories that William Branham claimed to have represented his past life, a new question is raised. With each new invented scripture found, the younger generation with access to the information highway are now staggering to the combination of questions as to why the past foundation has failed. Why do the teachings not align with scripture? And why are they forced to carry the load for something that they did not build themselves? To these people, the gospel of Jesus Christ is appealing because Christ carries the load for them. My heart bleeds for the young foundations. Like myself, many will suffer through life not realizing that the work that they do is in vain. Their entire lives become another book of Ecclesiastes and their struggle to uphold these extra-biblical teachings of their fathers will never produce any sort of faith greater than what is given to them by the gift of the Holy Spirit. They will blindly wander through life looking for something that was not meant to be. It is only by the grace and mercy of God that we're able to enter the kingdom. And there's nothing that we can do to earn our place in the New Jerusalem. If nothing changes, these children will come to a, another great fall. Unless the old foundation is abandoned and the gospel of Jesus Christ is taught, they will suffer a fate worse than their parents because their load is much more heavy to bear. The parents ask something of the children that they could not do themselves. If you are a child and you're born into this cult, you're not alone. Many of us from around the world were destined to fall just like you are now. Many of us, like myself, have fallen. The weight was unbearable and our attempt to earn this rapturing faith did not succeed. We went through a punishment worse than death simply for the sake of our fathers and their failed attempt because we never had been taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never knew that Christ would carry this load for us. We never knew that our outward appearance and our ascetic lifestyle had no merit and that Christ's work on Calvary was sufficient for every age. We never knew that the covenant of grace was eternal because under dispensationalism, the covenant of grace unscripturally had an end. If you're a child that has already fallen, you're not alone. Many have broken under this load and fled Christ. Many did not know that the God that we served in the message was not the God of the Bible. We were taught a God of wrath 
that ignored the cross to smite a wife and child. We were taught a different Jesus, one that died on the cross as just a man, one that was nothing more than an angel, which is now lower than even the humans. We were not taught the Christ of the Bible, and many have fled to different gods or no God at all. But don't worry. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Many of those same people are now coming back to Christ, and the Holy Spirit is constantly calling for those that are buried under the rubble of the foundation of their fathers. They're buried under this rubble for the foundation that their fathers could not uphold. Come to Christ. Make Him your foundation. Do not look for a young foundation to build something that's better than the cross. Look to the foundation that was laid over 2,000 years ago.